Hey everyone, and welcome to the Age Sister Podcast. Today I'm talking to Teresa Isabel Diaz. Teresa is a pharmacist with 25 years of professional experience. She's in postmenopause now, but during her perimenopause, her mood swings were so intense, her son asked her if she was bipolar. So she went on to become a menopause practitioner certified by the North American Menopause Society, and she founded Menopause Ed a virtual women's health practice to help women navigate the stages of menopause and live a vibrant and productive life. Teresa is breaking the last health taboo in the workplace, menopause, and she's delivered education and training to universities, to large corporations, and to other major employers. She's also written and presented to several pharmacy associations. So welcome, Teresa. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you here. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. You know, I, I'm so interested in the work that you do, and I think it's so important that you're helping women at this time in life. Maybe you can just tell me a little bit about how you came to do the work that you're doing today. How did you get here in terms of your journey? Uh, it's usually with a personal story that we get into these things, isn't it? So my... Uh, Mine was uh, one day my older son, he was in his late teens and I was in my late 40s, he asked me if I was bipolar because apparently my mood swings were so extreme that the whole family was walking on eggshells around me because they never knew if I was happy and nice or if I was in a dark mood and just uh, complaining and uh, being nasty to them. So since I was the uh, health care provider of the house, uh, why don't I look into that? So I did. In those days, this was more than 10 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, there was not a whole lot of good information on the internet. There was actually a lot of misinformation, even disinformation. So it took me a while to figure out what was going on and then I realized I was in perimenopause. So. And I know this happened to many other healthcare providers, so I'm not alone on this. If I, as a professional in health, did not know what was going on in menopause, in perimenopause, and I didn't know that mood swings, for example, could be part of the uh, journey, then a whole lot of other women probably did not. So I decided to uh, write the exam through the North American Menopause Society and I became a certified menopause practitioner. I learned a lot for myself and then I figured if I already know this and I passed the exam after studying a whole year for it because perimenopause, concentration and memory are not 100%. So I got my certification and I started uh, helping women in a pharmacy. I used to work in community pharmacy, but I soon realized it was not the best place because there was not enough, um, you know, there was not enough time and there was not enough uh, quiet space and private space for us to talk about such personal things. So I changed my business model and I I founded Menopause Ed and I do all my services online and that's how it started. It started with me having mood swings that were affecting the family. Amazing. I guess I'd just like to know from you, 
What are some of the common myths around menopause? What I find with the women that I work with is they're kind of surprised by some of the things that have come up for them during perimenopause and during the menopausal transition. So maybe you can just tell me a little bit about that, what you come across. So the most common symptom, uh, symptoms, and I don't like calling them symptoms because it's not a disease, but I, cannot, I haven't been able to find a better word. So symptoms, challenges, I'm going to interchange them. So the most common and affects 80% of women are hot flashes and night sweats. Night sweats are hot flashes that happen during the night, and together we call them vasomotor symptoms or VMS. So those are affecting 80% of women. And those seem to be the ones that everybody knows about. But then other things like sleep difficulties, memory and concentration uh, issues, uh, body shape change. A lot of women change shape, even if they don't put on weight, they tend to accumulate fat around the middle because that's just what happens when estrogen starts going. Fat composition and fat distribution changes. Um, Women get very fatigued. 48% of women are very fatigued during perimenopause and for two years after menopause. Uh, they have um, mood swings. They, te they tear up for no reason at all or they get very moody for no reason at all. Irritability, anger, all of these things seem to catch women by surprise and they're not really symptoms of a disease, but many times these things can be misdiagnosed as mental health uh, dysfunction. So when women go to the doctor with this tearfulness and fatigue and lack of uh, stamina and lack of interest, just flat, many, many times erroneously, they are um, diagnosed as depressed or if they are irritable and very um, moody and very anxious, they get a diagnosis of anxiety. And sometimes it's not related to uh, neurotransmitters and hormones in the brain. It's to do with sexual hormones like estrogen. So it's, as, as I say, awareness goes a long way to, for women to understand what goes on is a natural change because there's so many places in our body where estrogen works. When estrogen starts going up and down and then goes down in postmenopause, it's natural for our body to feel different. So if we are aware that these changes could happen to us, and most 20% of women breathe right through menopause and they don't complain of anything, and those are the ones everybody else envies, but good for them. 20% have severe uh, challenges that have them quit their jobs, quit their career, and that's so impactful that without support, they seem to, um, have a, a quality of life greatly affected. So 60% of us are in the middle uh, getting mild to moderate symptoms. If you don't know about these things, you get a lot uh, of fear and you get scared and you get worried. Why am I feeling this way? And of course we know that as soon as we have something showing up in our health, we imagine the worst. So many women come to me and say, I'm having breast pain. Does that mean I have breast cancer? So there's a lot of fear because there's a lot of um, ignorance and it's nobody's fault. It's just because this is such a secret thing. Even though every woman goes through menopause, it affects 50% of the population directly and the 50% indirectly like it affected my family, right? It doesn't affect just the woman. It affects all of those who live with us. 
But because there's no talk about this and women are not aware and prepared, they suffer a lot more and worry a lot more than I think we should. That's why I do what I do. My first thing is raise awareness about menopause so women know it's a thing, it's normal, it's natural. Every woman goes through it because most of them say, oh, just hearing you say that I'm not the only one going through this already makes me feel better. Exactly. You are not the only one, but so many feel isolated in this journey. Absolutely. Why do you think there's such a taboo around talking about menopause? Why is it something that, you know, when, when teenagers are going through um, puberty, there's still discussion around it, even though they might be uncomfortable. But there's something about menopause that nobody wants and to talk about. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because menopause seems to be the reverse of puberty. And when a girl gets into puberty, we celebrate the first period. We have so much hope and uh, an expectation of what this girl is turning into a woman and how is she going to look like because her body is changing, her mind is changing. All of that is changing because of the influence of the new secreted sexual hormones, the estrogen, the progesterone, and the testosterone, while in menopause it's the reverse. But it has such a negative connotation. It's like menopause is the end of life. Well, yeah, it used to be, a hundred years ago, women were dying at the end of their lives when they were becoming uh, menopausal in the 50s. But now menopause happens to them, to most of us, halfway through our lives or even two-thirds in when so much else is happening. So it's one more thing for us to put up with in the sense that it's one more change. So if we are raising kids or looking after elderly parents, we have a job or a career or a business, now there's this added thing on top of it. And it can be very hard to manage and to, uh, and to cope with. But I, I don't know, I think there's more than one reason why we don't talk about it. It's because it is media and everything around us has, has, has made it such a negative event in a woman's life. It's the end of fertility. Okay, I understand that some women feel terrible because they haven't had a chance to reproduce before menopause and now they are faced with reality that they won't be able to again. But for so many of us, that is a liberation of having to cope with our hormones telling us every month what to do because not every day is different. Our hormones go up and down in a predictable way. Then in perimenopause, when the ovaries start aging, things are less predictable, so they are more worrisome, they are more annoying. And then in, in menopause, the ovaries just start producing eggs and estrogen, and then we get leveled. And I think if we spin menopause around and think of it as puberty, as a expecting time, as a time of exploration of ourselves, of what are we going to do for the next 30 years, who do we want to be for the next 30 years, how do I want to behave, move, think, what do I want to do when I'm 70, 80, 90, 100, some of us are going to make it to 100, we're going to spend 30 years or more in postmenopause. how could menopause be the end of it when there's so much to live still? And then there's shame, there's secrecy, because it just goes around. If women don't talk about it, nobody else is going to talk about it because it's, a, it's supposed to be a women's problem. 
and it just feeds itself. So I think it starts with us owning that there is a normal, natural change of life. We can't do anything about it. There's not an amount of hormones in the world that you can take that you're going to stop going through menopause. And then spin it around and celebrate your last menstrual period. When you look back 12 months and you confirm you haven't bled for 12 months, you are in menopause. Throw a party. I'll help you. Just like we throw a party for our girls' first period, right? And then enjoy and then take time for yourself. Be more aware of your self-love, self-care, because when estrogen goes down, you are going to be um, at risk for diseases that are related to lower levels of estrogen. So cardiovascular risk, heart attacks are going to increase for you and it's going to be as high as it is for men because estrogen helped us all along. The risk of osteoporosis because estrogen, lack of estrogen is going to make your bones leach more calcium out. So you need to, and you know this much better than I do, you need to keep moving to keep your muscles and your bones strong to prevent osteoporosis and eventually fracture because a fracture is going to change our quality of life a big deal negatively. So I think midlife is a time in a woman's life to accept our body, to be aware of our bodies, to accept change, to go with the flow instead of fighting it. This anti-aging thing is just making women spend money we can't stop aging, but we can choose how we age and eat well, sleep well, move, think the right things. I know it's hard, but with practice and with the right attitude towards this being a positive change in our life, a P-A-U-S-E, positive change in our lives, I think we will do ourselves a big favor and society too. <laughs> Hallelujah. Just that piece around anti-aging, I agree so much. Um, I'm wondering, because I'm really interested in women in the workplace at this age, because I think previously women had very big uh, pauses from work or they didn't continue with work, but women are now working in well into retirement age and really pursuing their careers, you know, pretty vigorously. But this is an issue for a lot of women in midlife where they come into some of these changes in their in their bodies and also in their mental health as a result of perimenopause and the menopausal transition. And this makes mm -hmm. it kind of challenging at work. And I know that you've spent some time at workplaces. I'm just wondering if you have any suggestions for women who are going through this while trying to carry on a uh, you know, a really yeah, it can be very difficult and unfortunately I personally know women who have given up their jobs and their careers because they just did not have support. Um, I have examples of women having problems with uh, concentration, feeling anxious, not being able to perform as well as they were. Let's face it, we also aging, it's not just menopause, it's aging. Men and women age and our brain function gets slower. We are just as smart. We just need to find out where we put information and takes more time to uh, bring it up to the front. But all that can be managed if you understand what's going on. And many women that I, a few women that I've encountered in, in my counseling is, they were diagnosed with depression. They are given antidepressants. 
which in themselves, if it's not the right medication, could make your life worse. They're going to cause drowsiness, they're, gonna, they're going to decrease your sexual uh, uh, interest, so it's going to add a few more things to your life. Some of them are going to impair your sleep. So antidepressants are not the, the uh, option or the right treatment for a woman going through perimenopause issues. So after two years of going through medical uh, offices and being given these diagnoses and these medications, they just put their hands up and they don't feel any better. They don't feel supported. And they say, the only thing I can control is giving up my job because my, I can't get my kids out of the house. I don't want to divorce my husband. I don't want to kill my elderly parents. The only thing I can say no to is my work. And that's so unfortunate because once they stop working, they realize nothing else has got better because the root of the cause has not been addressed. They are not getting support. So I tell women do not, so this is a topic that I talk in, um, in workplaces and my, my, I do lunch and learns and I call it menopause is the glass ceiling no one is talking about. Because women are not aware that all these changes they're going through are related to hormones that can be managed. It's stress, it's not enough sleep, it's too much work at home, it's my parents, it's, it's work. Yeah, it is, but it's also your hormones. So again, being aware that this is a natural thing that is happening to you and finding education and support to go through it, it's the key because we can't blame all medical conditions on menopause. So you should keep your uh, um, checkups with your doctor. I know it's hard now during COVID, but keep seeing your doctor. And keep If something is changing, address it, monitor what's going on, find out if it is a medical condition instead of being just the menopause. And if possible, if you own an organization, if you are the HR officer in the, your place of work, if you have a, a, leadership, a, a leadership role, Take that opportunity to bring menopause awareness and education to your workplace because you are doing yourself and all the women in your organization a favor and the men as well because men live with women who will go through menopause already or will go through menopause in a few years. If there's more awareness about this, women who are having a hard time will not quit their jobs because they get the support they need. Organizations will understand that I have a 50-year-old woman with a ton of experience and knowledge. If I lose this woman, I lose, my company loses. It's a lose-lose for everyone. What does she need? So a woman should be able to tell her manager, a boss, a CEO, HR, I'm going through this. I need, um, one of my challenges is not sleeping enough. So I need to sleep in and start work late. I will finish work later. Or I wake up very early, I'd rather wake up, start working at 5 o'clock in the morning and then I can take a nap at 3 and be done for the day. Or I need, now we're all home, I need a fan, I'm having a hot flashes galore and I feel very uh, uncomfortable with it, give me a desk fan. Or I feel um, self-conscious when I feel red and sweaty in a, in a person meeting or in a Zoom meeting. I want to turn my camera off. I feel more comfortable if people don't see me going through that because if a woman feels herself hot and sweaty, she thinks, nobody's going to notice for the most part, but she thinks, 
oh, now I feel nervous and sweat and it just feeds itself. And they're going to think I'm not comfortable with what I'm saying. I'm not sure of what I'm saying. I'm not going to look professional. I'm not going to be. So there's a lot of this going on. So the culture has to change. We have domestified pregnancy. Pregnancy was just as secretive, as a secret, a secret as menopause is years back. Our previous sisters took care of that. We are addressing mental health now, and menopause seems to be the last uh, health taboo in the workplace. And I talked to women at workplace, and I, it was funny because in one talk I had a woman who said, I am not going to mention to anyone that I'm in perimenopause because I'm already the oldest person in my team. If they find one more reason to get rid of me, they're going to. So I'm not going to say anything. So that, there's that fear, which I, I understand and I respect, but then someone else was there. Now the woman was there, she says, I brought my manager because I want her to know what I'm going through. And when I say, I need support with ABC, she understands where I'm coming from and she'll be more likely to support me. That's my belief. If we don't talk about things, we'll never fix them. We don't need to fix menopause, but we need to fix the culture around it and understand that it is a thing. And some women, not all, so we can't make it a one-size-fits-all. It's not a work policy. It's like an awareness and education. Everyone who needs to know about this knows about it. Those who need support know that there's someone in the organization who's going to listen to you, understand what you're talking about, and then offer reasonable support. I think that would work. That's such great advice, Teresa. I just think that's excellent. I'm going to switch gears a little and ask you that, that sensitive or tough question that I think there's a lot of struggle and misunderstanding around. And I'm asking you this question because I know you're an expert in medication. As a pharmacist, you have a good understanding of some of the medications that can help women during this time. But one of the things that I hear quite often is women saying, my doctor doesn't want to give me HRT or I'm scared of taking HRT. So I'm wondering if you uh, can I could talk that. about that for five hours because it is that important, but it is unfortunately. So the whole thing started when the WHI HI trial results came out in 2002 and three, and the results were given um, in relative risks instead of absolute risks. So for example, one of the biggest fears for hormone, th we don't call it HRT anymore uh, because we are not replace hormone replacement therapy. We're not replacing the hormones we had in our reproductive years. We're just calling it now menopause hormone therapy or MHT because we're adding a little bit of hormones to those women who are having a hard time and need to get over these five to 10 years of discomfort to have a better quality of life of relationships and work. So HRT now is called MHT. When the results of the WHI trial, which was trying to see if HRT in those days was good at preventing diseases such as cardiovascular disease and osteoporosis, they found out that it wasn't. And the reason was they, they, they uh, used in a study women from 50 to 79. In, uh, in fact, only 20% of something like that of women were at the age between 50 and 60 where we mostly feel all those challenges that we need to control. 
So most of the women were older, and as I said before, as we age, our risk for diseases increases. So, and those women had had menopause more than 15 years ago, so all of a sudden they give an estrogen, and the body feels like, this doesn't belong to me. So there were uh, cardiovascular effects, there are stroke risk, this increases. Uh, cardio if you're older, you should take a hormone therapy because you don't need it anymore. Um, so when they, when they gave the results, for example, the, the media said, oh, uh, hormone therapy increased rest, breast cancer risk by 28%. So what do you and I think? Now we think that 28 in 100 women are going to develop breast cancer. Right? That's what I thought, that's what the doctors thought, that's what everybody thought until I dig into this and it says increases the risk by 28%. So to tell you the, the real numbers, in the study they used 5,000 women in each study or 8,000. It was a big study, over 20,000 women in this study. Some took estrogen and progesterone and progestines and some took only estrogen if they didn't have a uterus and then there was a placebo. When they meant that the risk increased by 28%, what they meant was the normal, the base risk for most of us for breast cancer is 12%. When the, that 12% risk increases by 28%, in a thousand women, uh, they, they found that eight more women were diagnosed with breast cancer in the hormone trial than the placebo trial. So it was only 8% in, in a thousand women per 10 years. So the, the increase in numbers was actually from zero to eight more, not 20% increase. It's almost like a lottery. If you buy a ticket, you have a 100% chance of, you have a, a, a ticket for a lottery. Your chances of winning the lottery are still very small. If I give you another ticket, it increases your chances by 100%. But I bet you, you're not going to win the lottery still, right? So the risk increased, but because the risk was already small, the small increase in the risk was not that big. But how are we going to explain this to women after media says the risk increased by 28% and nobody explained to women what it is? So that's how this confusion came. Um, so women became afraid of it, the doctors became afraid of it. They looked into the WHI trial by age group, again, the age where women need more support and could use hormone therapy to, to, uh, to, to manage challenges. From the 50 to 60, many, many people have studied those results and the conclusion that all experts agree now is if you are a healthy woman, so you're not suffering from any cardiovascular diseases, you don't have breast cancer, if you are a healthy woman, under the age of 60, or within 10 years of menopause, so within 10 years of your last menstrual period, the benefits of hormone therapy are higher than the risks of hormone therapy. And if you don't have a uterus, you don't need a progestine, your risk of breast cancer is almost as much as if you weren't taking any hormone therapy. So they say that if you have a uterus and you need to take estrogen and a progestine, for five years, your risk should not increase. If you have no uterus, your risk should not increase for seven years. For some women, three or five years is enough to get them over that time when all the symptoms are so uh, challenging. 
and then you can stop, you can lower the dose, you can change the route of administration. And again, the WHI trial only studied one route of administration, which was oral pills, one type of estrogen, which was um, conjugated equine estrogens, none of them produced by the human body, and the progestine, which is a synthetic progesterone, which we don't produce either. So we will never have a study as big, but maybe giving an estradiol, which is similar to what we produce, and giving a progesterone, which is similar to what we produce, will not increase the risk as much. Other trials have been done, but that hasn't been proven yet. But it seems to, so far, that there's less risk with those body-identical hormones. Mm, that's such important information. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around taking hormones at this stage in life. Are there any other things that you would recommend, just for putting your pharmacist hat on, things um, that you should think about taking? There's, there's, there are a lot of things that women take, and 50% of uh, what we take uh, is placebo effect. So you take something and you believe it helps you, fine. I'm fine with that, as long as it doesn't cause any other harm, as long as it doesn't have any adverse effects, as long as it is a good product, I usually recommend buying something with an NPN, so it's a natural product number. That means Health Canada looked into this problem, into this product, and it's um, accepted by our uh, regulations. Um, if it is black cohosh, sage, whatever it is, we have to remember that the trials, the studies to find if these things are safe and effective are not as robust as trials necessary for prescription drugs. So take it carefully. If it helps you, fine. If it stops helping, probably was placebo effect. Try something else. If you take it and it gives you a stomachache, causes nausea, gives you a headache, stop taking it. Try something else. It's normal for women to take several things before they find one that works for them. But as I said, Try it. If it doesn't work, try something else. Nothing is as effective for hormones, for menopause symptoms as hormone therapy. If you are a good candidate for it, there's no reason why you should not take it. If you go to the doctor and the doctor says, now it's bad for you, ask, why is it bad for me? Demand explanation. You have the right to ask the doctor, why not? The same, the same right you have to ask when someone gives you a prescription, why should I take this? What happens if I don't take it? And then the doctor, if the doctor is not in a menopause uh, area like I am and some others uh, are, you may not know enough about these uh, other details about the WHI results and how it's not as dangerous as we all think it is. So you may have to change doctors. Talk to me. I do discovery calls. I, I love helping women in discovery calls because, as I said, not everything is related to menopause. If it is, I can help you deal with that. But if it's not, I know enough to, to, to know and to say, this does not seem very related to menopause. Let's investigate it a little further. Maybe you should talk to a gynecologist. Maybe you should talk to a rheumatologist because aches and pains is a symptom that many women feel and it's not very commonly associated with uh, with the transition. So I can do that for women, but what I want them to do, because I cannot talk to everyone, 
is go to the doctor when the doctor says no ask why if you don't like the answer if in your gut you feel like this is not right I want to do something about this and I'm not having support get a second opinion get a third opinion and then in ultimately it is your choice to take or not to take a medication but you should only make a choice after you've been educated so there's lots of good websites on online you don't have to talk to me uh, but I would love to the NAMS, the North American Menopause Society, has amazing information. So does the Australasian Menopause Society, the International Menopause Society, the Canadian Menopause Society. Jean Ailes in Australia has an amazing website for everything to do with women's health. So go to those reliable um, websites. If you've got to go on Google, and I love to show my mug. <laughs> if you gotta go on Google, go on a good reputable site, like I said, NAMS, IMS, Australasian Menopause Society, Sigma for Canada, because you can get lots of good, up-to-date, reliable, science-based information there, and stop spending money on jade eggs and all that stuff, because it's not going to help you. It's going to help you waste your money, but it's not going to help you with your menopause. So make, get educated so you can make an educated, uh, an informed decision regarding your treatment about this and everything else. So I'm guessing that a lot of women listening to you today would love to find out more information about the work that you do. So my website you? is menopauseend.org. Uh, my, uh, my website has uh, uh, a way to book a discovery call. I do one-on-one -on -one consultations online because I don't want to be, uh, well, now everything has to be online, but uh, I don't want to be geographically uh, stuck to Toronto. So I want to help women across Canada can book a discovery call. I do, we haven't talked about this, but that's another issue of your podcast. Vaginal and sexual health is even a biggest, a bigger taboo and the bigger secret than menopause itself is. And it affects quality of relationships. I always tell women, do not allow your vagina to ruin your marriage because it's a very common thing. So I do a vaginal and sexual health um, consultation. I do initial consultations, I do drug adjustments, I do a four-week start your journey program and then for those women who are really having a hard time and have tried a lot of things and nothing helped and they really need uh, support for a longer term, I do a 12 weeks uh, a positive, your positive journey. So I do a lot of things because as I said there's no uh, one-size-fits-all Every woman goes through her own menopause and all treatment, all support should be done individualized because we are all different and even what's good for your system may not help for you and may not be safe for you. So everything has to be done for each of us. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I just love talking to you and keep spreading the Thank you for helping me spread it, Kate. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Take care. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Bye.